Thank you, Tim, for that prayer of supplication. My message this morning is where have the Easter bonnets gone and where did the Easter bunny come from? I just want to see what kind of reaction I get from the crowd. It's sad to think that in too many churches across the nation on this Easter morning, precious pastoral pulpit time is wasted on frivolous topics like that that simply tickle the ears of people and not touch the souls of the saints. This morning I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. As we have been walking through the <clears throat> events prior to Holy Week and then through Holy Week last Sunday and then Monday Thursday service, and we conclude in chapter 28, a very familiar passage and certainly very pivotal to the theme of Easter. If you'll read along with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angels answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that happened, or had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away unto Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You know, the facts of the bodily resurrection of the only begotten Son of God, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, though it, it is 
central to us and means everything to us. The sad reality is it will have no or little impact upon the majority of the people that live on the face of the earth today. It'll just be another day. Oh yes, there will be those who will recognize Easter as a holiday and they'll find all kinds of secular things to do. But the true spiritual significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ will have no real impact on their lives. But not so for the authentic follower of Christ. The significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything to us. It impacts our very existence now and forever in a number of ways. And so as we revisit this chapter that is Matthew's rendition of the resurrection of Christ and the events around it, I want you to see, consider how the resurrection impacts the life of the believer. Consider, first of all, the resurrection of Christ results in worshipful celebration. To the believer, to the follower of Christ, the natural response to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is worship. That's what we've been doing since early this morning. Worshiping Him. And I've enjoyed it, I'll tell you that. This has been a treat to have been here for the resurrection celebration and then to be here thus far in the service today. Let me, let me do this. Let me take you into the future and show you not only does the resurrection of Christ impact those who are walking on the face of the earth who are followers of Christ, but understand the celestial impact, the impact of the risen Christ in heaven. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the last book, Revelation in chapter 5, in that wonderful, powerful vision that God gave or Christ gave to John the Apostle in what we know as the Revelation, we're, we're allowed through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he is giving John these words. John is seeing a vision of heaven. And I want you to see the resurrected Lamb of God and the impact that it has there even in heaven. Because folks, we're looking at our future home. You're looking at you and me. One day, standing in the midst of all the heavenly hosts in the very presence of the Lord himself, and we are there. And John says there, as we look in Revelation chapter 5, look at verse 6. John says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, capitalized as Christ, as though it had been slain, having seven horns, which represents complete power, and seven eyes, representing complete knowledge, omniscience, which are the seven spirits of God. He's full of the Spirit of God. Out into all the earth. Verse 7, And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He didn't have to grab that. That scroll represented the very deed of the earth and the very destiny of humanity. And it all rested in what Jesus did. And when Jesus took the scroll from the hands of God the Father, He had earned it. The Father wasn't holding back. He let it go. 
There was no one else in all of creation in all of eternity who had earned the right to take the deed of the earth and the destiny of humanity into his hand because Jesus, you see, at this point, had paid the price. He had paid the price for the redemption of humanity. Verse 8, now when he had taken the scroll, oh listen, all of heaven knew exactly what that meant. That meant, hey, it's finished. The job has been done. The price has been paid. We've been redeemed. And it says, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So you see where you say your prayers go? They're all collected, and they're right before the throne of God. Oh, but listen, in verse 9, John goes on to record, and they sang a new song, saying, yeah, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Let me just stop there for a second. That's not the angels singing, ladies and gentlemen. I know we often talk about the angels singing, but actually... The angels do a lot of speaking, but we do the singing. That's our song. Did you see what it said? It's a new song. It's a song of the redeemed. And we couldn't sing it until Jesus died on the cross and rose out of the grave. And all of heaven knew that. Listen, at the moment of Christ's resurrection, there was a celebration unseen in all of eternity. In verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. You know, that's probably somebody calculated a hundred million plus angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard them saying blessings and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. They must have been Baptists. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Don't tell me that the resurrection of the Son of God doesn't have a lasting impact. We'll be there one day, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see the precious Lamb of God. He will stand there before us and his nail-pierced hands will still be with a reminder to you and me that he died for our sins, but he's fully alive. And because he came out of that grave and was resurrected by the power of God, hallelujah, we can sing that new song. The song of the redeemed. I can't wait. Get up there and sing that in my glorified voice. Y'all will be just amazed. <laughs> Take my word for it. But the worship that takes place in heaven ought to inspire the worship that takes place here on the earth. The resurrection of Christ results in the worship of the saints as we engage and now we reflect upon the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection authenticates his divine claims. You understand back in chapter 16 and verse 21, Jesus told his disciples all the way back then, 
This is prior to him making his way from Galilee to Jerusalem and the Passion Week as we know it. Uh, listen, a good ways back in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed but, and be raised on the third day. He told them over and over, once, twice, Three times, four times before he was even arrested. He said, this is what's going to happen to me. And when he stepped out of the grave, when he was resurrected in the power and the glory of God, it gave evidence that he was who he said he was. It, it gave evidence and authenticated his divine claims as the Son of God. And as we reflect upon the reaction of those early followers of Christ, I'll take you back to chapter 28. I, I focus our attention upon the, the two women, Mary and Mary. They weren't twins. They had two different Marys. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But anyway, as these two Marys had encountered the angel, and the angel told them, look, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's risen. He's not here. Now go tell his disciples. And so there's, they were making their way back into the city to tell the disciples who would greet them but the Lord himself. And you know the Greek... Language portrays the greeting of Christ as not like a big, you know, uh, pompous, you know, pious, like, greetings, rejoice. <laughs> Here's simply casually saying, rejoice. <laughs> and they recognized it was Jesus, and it says that they came and they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. What a worship experience. The first ones to actually be able to worship the risen Christ. Oh, listen, they did it all the way, they heard him. And they touched him. No, they didn't just touch him. They clung to him. They fell at his feet. Folks, let me tell you something. That's the essence of worship. And let me tell you something. When we remember what it, what it meant for us the first time that we truly encountered God's Son as our Savior and understood the significance of who he was and by faith we realize that he was indeed the Savior, that he indeed would be our Lord. Listen, can you ever forget that moment? I know for some of us we can't go back and pinpoint the day and time and you don't have to. The fact is you know clearly in your life there was a time when you turned from sin, turned from the world, and turned to Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in him, and oh, what an assurance came over your heart. What a blessed hope blossomed in your spirit. All of a sudden, you felt spiritual life like you'd never felt it before. Listen, when these ladies remember that moment, they couldn't help but worship. We're told later in Matthew's Gospel there, in chapter 16, that the disciples did make their way to the mountain in Galilee that had been appointed to them. I want you to look at verse 17. It says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. This is Peter, James, and John, and, and, the, and the other disciples. Let me tell you something. Before, before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you know, they respected him. They followed him. They obeyed him. But this is a different type of a greeting. Because they understand that now this Jesus who has walked with them and talked with them and taught them and worked miracles in their presence and claimed to be the Son of God, they see evidence that he was, he was slain. They saw him on the cross dead. They knew that he had been buried and now was risen. And their natural response was to worship him. And as we engage the resurrected Lord, our response ought to be worship. Every worship service that we engage in, we should bring with us the reality that Jesus died 
And that three days later, he rose. And not only did he rise from the uh, grave, or, or was arisen from the grave, but in his resurrection, we are raised from death. We are raised from the grave because we are in him. And we'll talk about that. So the resurrection of Christ results in worshipful, worshipful celebration. Do you celebrate the resurrection of Christ? Oh, you say, oh, sure. We're doing that today. I'm not talking about just on Easter Sunday. What about next Sunday? What about three months from now? What about in the dead of winter? Will you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Should we ever forget when we walk in here and the stained glass windows remind us of that empty cross that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Every worship service, I believe in my heart, ought to be a celebration. Amen? Yeah, I think it ought to be. We may have to have a pep band up. Well, let's not go there. We got wonderful music. God, but I'll tell you what, we don't need a pep band. We can get ourselves stirred up when we consider how glorious the resurrection of Jesus Christ is and what it means to us. But let us move along. Because I want you to see another way that the resurrection of Christ as given to us in the scriptures, impacts the lives of those who follow Christ. Not only does it generate worshipful celebration, but the resurrection of Christ results in obedient evangelization. Obedient evangelization. And that big word simply means the sharing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins and your sins. And he was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, by the power of God, he was resurrected fully alive. And in his resurrection, we have eternal life. If we put our faith and trust in him. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's what we are motivated to do as a result of the wonderful news of the resurrection of Christ. The Lord's commission, or the Lord commissions his church after his resurrection. I'll take you back to Matthew chapter 28. Very familiar passage. There's Jesus there on the mountain in Galilee. These are his last words in Matthew's gospel to his disciples. And as Jesus is speaking and, and came and spoke to them. And you know, I want to just take you back to verse seven, 17 for just a, just a moment. Because, you know, sometimes I would look at that verse and it talked about how the disciples fell down and worshiped Jesus. And then why in the world would Matthew put in there that little phrase, but some doubt it. But some doubt it. It seems so out of place. If I was writing it, I would have just left that out. But you see, the word of God is absolutely true. Might I submit to you, and I read this in one commentator's explanation of that. Whenever the word got out that Jesus was meeting with his disciples and that Jesus was in the area, he drew a crowd. They weren't the only ones there that day, ladies and gentlemen. I submit to you that that mountain probably had a multitude of people who were gathered, but his disciples were the primary audience. So naturally, in a crowd like that, just as he did in his earthly ministry, there would be some doubters. Just like in any church today, I don't care how clearly you preach the word and teach the word and how filled with the spirit the people are, there will be some people that will leave after the service and say, yeah, I'm just not sure about that. I wish I could be, but you know, God bless them. We need to pray for them. But so that day there were probably some people in the midst of the larger crowd that really just weren't sure. I don't think there was any doubt in the minds of the disciples, including Thomas, as we have in John's gospel when Jesus came to Thomas and, you know, Thomas said, well, I wasn't here when he came the first time. And, and you know, I have to see the nail scars in his hands. I have to see the place in his side, <laughs> you know, and then boom, Jesus appears. 
And Thomas just out of, out of just blurts out, you know, my Lord and my God. I don't think even Thomas doubted at this point. I don't think there was any doubt in the hearts of the disciples at this point. They knew who was standing before them. They knew that he was indeed the Son of God, the risen Savior. And they had, they, they, he had their attention riveted at that point. But look at verse 18. Jesus said to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You hear what Jesus is telling us? Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling every disciple. He's not just telling preachers and missionaries. He's not just telling CGG teachers and, you know, and, and deacons. He's telling every Christian, everyone who claims Christ as Lord and Savior. He's saying, I have a job for you to do. It's not to go out there and get rich. It's not to be popular. It's not to have all these talents. It's not to accumulate your own wealth and, 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 and your own kingdom here on earth. Oh, no. He says, your purpose for living from this point on is to tell others about me, to make other disciples, multiply yourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the mission of the church. Every member of the church. And Jesus' disciples were motivated by the resurrection to do just what the Lord said. And we'll see evidence of that as you go through the book of Acts and you see that early church. My goodness. But not only that, but the resurrection of Christ stages his ascent and then the Spirit's descent. That's important. You see, the resurrection, had there been no resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, there would have been no ascension. Why was it important for Christ to go to heaven anyway? Because the Bible tells us he stands at the right hand of God the Father and every day, day and night, he intercedes for you and me. Because we have an accuser that is not, he is relentless and he's continually pulling up things to try to disqualify you and me before the Father and everything he pulls up, Jesus simply holds up his hands and says, paid in full, Father, paid in full. Aren't you glad? I'm glad Jesus is in heaven right now. I'm glad he's on the throne. But let me tell you something. When you look in the Gospel of John, you find a wonderful revelation there that Jesus gave earlier in his teaching about the importance of his going into heaven and so I direct your attention to John's gospel, chapter 25, or chapter 14, John 14, verse 25 and 26. Jesus is teaching about the importance of the Holy Spirit. But before we get to that verse, let me just back you up just a little bit. Because in verse 16, Jesus says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. In verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now drop down to verse 25 in John chapter 14. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. So you understand the, the, the importance of the Holy Spirit? He's constantly with us. He's constantly reminding us of the truth of the scriptures, the truth of Christ. He's constantly inspiring us to do the right thing. And he convicts us when we step out of the will of God. The Holy Spirit's presence in your life and my life is absolutely essential. 
But then I want you to jump over to John's Gospel, chapter 16. Very briefly, look at verse 7. Jesus said, nevertheless, this is John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Do you understand the significance of the resurrection and the ascension and the dissension of the Holy Spirit? It was all planned. It was all mapped out by God providentially, divinely, and the resurrection was the first step. If there was no resurrection, there would have been no ascension. If there was no ascension, there would be no dissension of the Holy Spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, without the abiding presence and the power of the Spirit of God, we are dead and lifeless as believers and followers. We don't stand a chance. Oh, listen, the impact of the resurrection is, is multifaceted. Not only do we see that the Lord commissions his church after his resurrection, but we shall also see that the Lord empowers his church through his resurrection. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? By his virtual appearance, he's saying, look, you saw me. You saw me crucified. Look at the wounds on my hand. Look at the wound on my side. You knew I was laid in that tomb. You heard witnesses of the fact that I was laid lifeless in the tomb. And here I am, fully alive, in the power and the glory of God. Let me tell you something. If that doesn't get your engine started, then you probably need an overhaul. Something's wrong. Let me tell you something. These disciples were being pumped by his very presence. The resurrection was empowering them to go and to do the work. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, follows the heat right on the heels of Matthew chapter 28. As Jesus, prior to his ascension, Jesus told his disciples, he says, look, you will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the, the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus says, don't you worry about being a witness for me. Don't you worry about living faithfully for me. Don't you worry about worshiping me. Don't you worry about being effective as one of my disciples because I'll give you the power. You tap into the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus through his resurrection was empowering his people. In 1 Corinthians, I know we... Had a great time in, in our Christian growth groups. Uh, you did. I did as I read and studied. But you know the Apostle Paul seized upon the significance of the power of the resurrection. I just want to direct your attention back into that wonderful book in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20. Paul said, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capitalized, speaking of Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Do you understand the significance of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Jesus was the first fruit. But let me tell you something, because he lives, amen? Because he lives, we know that we too shall live. Oh, not just till the last time our heart stops beating or till we breathe our last breath. Ladies and gentlemen, we will live forever. Because he lives, we live. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. And so we know that in Christ we share in that. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6 verse 3. In Romans chapter 6 verse 3, Paul says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Now just kind of follow this. It's important. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him 
through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see what Paul is saying there? Look at verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. There's a theological word called vicarious. It just means when one stands in the place of another. Let me remind you that when Jesus Christ, the precious sinless Son of God, hung on that cross, He was not dying for His sins. He was sinless. He was faultless. He wasn't hanging on that cross for His good. He was hanging on that cross for your good and my good. He was taking our place. And vicariously means that we are on that cross with Him. By faith, we are in Christ even on the cross. And when they, they crucified Him, we were being crucified to our flesh. Paul says that when we died with Him, we were buried with Him. Listen, when this body was lifeless and laid in that tomb, let me tell you something. By faith, by faith, you were in Christ. We were buried with Him. We were lifeless. We were hopeless. And let me tell you something. If the Son of God had not come out of the tomb on the third day, we would never have eternal life. We would continue to be spiritually dead. But hallelujah! Praise God on the third day when the glory of God raised the Son of God and the angel of God came down and created an earthquake and threw that stone away from the entrance to the tomb. Jesus Christ walked out in the full power and the glory of God. And let me tell you something Charlie Martin did too, by faith. And I ain't looking back because you know something? I came alive. The moment that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I connected myself with Him vicariously, He died for me. He was buried for me, with me, and hallelujah, He was raised. So one day when this old body gives up the Spirit, let me tell you something, when I breathe my last, my heart beats the last time, that's not going to worry me because I'm going to just keep on ticking like that little energizer bunny. But I won't be ticking downhill on the earth. Hallelujah. I'll be full with the life of God. I'll be resurrected with Christ. My Spirit is already there with him hallelujah don't tell me the power of the resurrection doesn't impact the people of God I've got to finish because somebody's roast to be burning in the oven here soon <laughs> the resurrection of Christ not only creates and generates worshipful celebration and obedient evangelization but it's interesting and we see it in Matthew's gospel the resurrection of Christ generates contrast in Reactions. How could anybody be in proximity of the Son of God dying on the cross, laid in a tomb, and being raised from the dead? Not to mention all the other miraculous events that have been going on since Good Friday. You recall, as I, I, I shared in the Scriptures Thursday night, Monday, Thursday. Listen, it wasn't a very quiet event. It wasn't an insignificant occurrence outside of the gates of Jerusalem on that hill called Golgotha when the Son of God hung there. There was a darkness that came over the earth like never before that lasted from noon till three. As the weight of the sins of the world came crashing down upon the precious shoulders of the Son of God, mine included and yours too. We're told that there was a massive earthquake that split the rocks and opened the graves and dead people got up and walked around, dead saints at least. The Bible tells us 
The curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Let me tell you something. That was a, how could you ever, how could you be in Jerusalem? How could you be in Israel? And just go, ho hum, just another Passover. How could you be a priest? A high priest? When he's giving you the sign that Tim eloquently preached on this morning, the sign of Jonah. He already told them when they said, give me a sign. And he says, I'm not going to give you any kind of supernatural sign like you're looking for. I'll tell you what, you'll get the ultimate sign. It'll be the sign of Jonah. Jonah was inside the belly of the well three days. And God delivered him. Tim was very graphic in that delivery. But I know it's getting closer to lunchtime now. And he says the Son of Man will be in the bowels of the earth. And on the third day, that's your sign. Boys, you better be watching the grave. You know, if I was a Pharisee or a scribe or Sadducee, uh, I got too many C's. Sadducee. You know what? I'd have got my RV and camped out in that tomb, in that graveyard. I don't care. I'd have had a sleepover right there. I, I would not have missed uh, counting down to the third day. They knew it. We see it in the scriptures. I've been watching. Maybe even hoping. Was it, did he know what he's talking about? They missed it. How do we know that? Look at verse 11 of chapter 28 of Matthew. Now, while they were going, talking about the women, Mary and Mary, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they had a prayer meeting and had revival and all got saved and went down to the tomb to worship the Lord. No, no, not so. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole his body away while we slept. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him and make secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying... It's commonly reported among the Jews today. Well, they did a bang-up job of starting the most vicious rumor in the world. And Jews today still pass that rumor along. Oh, he really wasn't resurrected. Those blasted heretics. They ran there and stole the body when the soldiers, who, by the way, would have been killed. If you sleep on your job as a Roman soldier, you're a dead man. Strike number one. Oh, those soldiers were asleep and they stole her body. No, no, strike two. If you're a Roman soldier and you're guarding a prisoner, I don't care if he's dead or not. If he gets out of your care and, and from your supervision, you're a dead man. So these are twice dead men. <laughs> but they're paid off. I thought it was interesting by contrast. They only gave Judas 30 pieces of silver, price of a common slave, to betray Jesus. And they're paying big money for these soldiers. Why? Because he realized what was at stake. And they spread this rumor. They spread this rumor. And it goes on and been perpetuated in Judaism down through the ages. The Jewish leaders had a plot to counter the powerful reality of the resurrection. And I know, I can read it in your faces. Some of it's indigestion from the sausage gravy, but the rest of it, you're, you're puzzled. Because you're like I am. How? 
How can they not see? It's right there. They're front and center to the most powerful, eternally impacting miracle of all of human history, and they miss it. How? Were they blind? Bingo. Because the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man, the man without Christ, receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. <laughs> A man dying, buried three days and getting up and living, oh, that's foolishness. That's what Paul said. It's foolishness to them. Neither can they know it because it's spiritually discerned. Do you understand why you see it? And they don't? Do you understand? It's not because you're so blasted smart. And I hope I don't insult anybody, because most of y'all are smarter than me. But the fact, it's not because you have all this, you know, elaborate, secretive insight. No, 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 no. The only reason that you see it is what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Because they do not know it, because it is spiritually discerned. If Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit, didn't open your eyes to the truth, you would be just as spiritually blind as the Pharisees, the high priests, the scribes who generated this rumor. You said, my goodness, I just don't really grasp it. That's okay, I got a little bit more for you. In 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on in, verse, in chapter 4, in verse 3, Paul says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled as it is covered it to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, little g, of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The devil was standing there. He had a demon behind every one of those Jewish leaders. And their, their hands were over their eyes. They were walking around. They were hearing this talk about Jesus being resurrected. But they can't. I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't see it. And guess what? They never did. They never did. And they're spending a hopeless, Christless, merciless, agonizing, painful eternity in the fires of hell. Because they did not see it. And people you know and love and people I know and love. You can be just as excited about Easter. You can go back home or go back to your family gathering or pass these loved ones at work or whatever and be so excited and tell them about the events of Easter <laughs> what resurrection means to you and they'll look at you like a mule looking at a new gate. If you didn't grow up on a farm, see me after church and I'll explain it. Because it just won't register. That's how they could generate such falsehood that would deceive so many people because evil powers were blinding them from the truth. Wow. But, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, in contrast, in contrast, Believers respond by faith with confident anticipation. We got it. We see it. We see Him on the cross. We see His lifeless body laid in that tomb. We see the big stone rolled across, across the entrance of the tent. We can see it. 
But hallelujah, on that first Easter morning, early before the sun came up, we can also see the angel descending from heaven and touching down on earth and creating an earthquake. And we see the power and the glory of the Shekinah of God radiating off of that angel as he moves the stone away. We hold our breath. We look. We can see it. Who's coming out of the tomb? Who's stepping out of the tomb? It's nobody but the Son of God. How do you know it's Jesus? Look at his hands. How do you know it's Jesus? Look at his side. He's coming forth on the third day fully alive in the power and the glory of God. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. This same Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, I told you, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right after Matthew 28, when Jesus was giving his final words to his disciples, and he, the, the word of God tells us there that he was ascended up into heaven in verse 9, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and, 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 and a cloud received him out of their sight. But look at verse 10. And while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, angels, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? I just wondered, would they have stood there? For a day, a month, and said, and, and built the church there, and called it the Church of the Ascent, and just talked about all the dynamics of, of, of Jesus going up into heaven. What if the angels had not come that day and said, Hey, fellas, click, click, over here, over here. Yeah, that was fantastic. But let me tell you something. Get moving, boys. He's given you the Great Commission. You've got a job to do. Don't be standing around here. But look what he said, men of Galilee. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What is it that generates confident anticipation in the hearts of believers? Is because we know from the word of God that not only did he go up, he's coming back. Not only has he come once to the earth to redeem the, the, the saints of God, let me tell you something, he's coming again the second time to establish his great throne on this earth. I think about the words of Titus over in Titus chapter 2, or the, or the words of Paul to Titus in, in Titus chapter 2. In verse 13, Paul speaks of this wonderful blessed hope. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, get pumped about Easter. Get pumped about his first coming. Get excited about his resurrection. Get excited about the fact that he was raised, uh, ascended into heaven and is there at the right hand of God the Father. But let me tell you something every day of our life we ought to live in that constant and eager anticipation that at any moment any day Jesus Christ could come again the resurrection reminds us that the same Jesus that came the first time will come again and he will come in power and he will come in glory we know that I think about the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, he said in verse 16, For the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Does that not get your blood pumping? And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection excites us over the, what we know that Christ has done. 
and the change that it makes in our life and the anticipation of him coming again. But let me tell you something. As John tells us in that uh, wonderful epistle that I'm preaching through in 1 John chapter 3 as I get ready to close. In chapter 3 verse 1 of 1 John, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Have y'all ever gotten over that? Don't. I mean, I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of my parents and grandparents and all of that. And I'm proud to go around Roxburgh and say, yeah, I'm O.C.'s boy. You know, people, if you're kind of new in town, they say, who are you? <laughs> you know, and I'd say Charlie Martin. That doesn't mean a hill of beans, folks in Roxburgh. But I say, uh, um, I'm one of O.C.'s many sons. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. You know what I like to do? I like to tell people, who are you? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the living God. It says so right here. And we shall be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, not as we truly are, because it did not know Him. But look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Hallelujah. Because I don't want to think that this is all that I got. There's more to come. But we know. Listen, did you see what John said? But He didn't say, but we hope and we think and we speculate. John says right here, he says, but we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I think about that old Sandy Patty song. We shall see Jesus. We're going to see him one day, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be with him in glory one day. We'll look at Him. We'll look at ourselves and we'll see the striking resemblance. Why not? Because we're children of God. And we'll have the likeness of Christ in that glorified body of ours. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Oh, hallelujah. One day, one glorious day, we will be with Jesus. I know we've had people just recently, I... Went to a funeral service yesterday for a dear pastor's wife. They served in this area for decades and dear sweet saint. And I was thinking about, so I sat there, you know, in that funeral service and they were sharing celebration of her life. And I was thinking, my goodness, what a good time to go home. <laughs> I mean, what a time to go home. To be there and uh, you think Christians get stirred up down here on earth with Easter? Shucks, you wait till you're up there. My goodness, the celebration goes on and it gets more intense. As the, the more the saints are coming home, it gets even better. Praise God, we have that blessed hope. Oh, listen, Easter is a whole lot more than just a holiday, amen? It's more than just one Sunday when we put on our best and show up and eat and have fellowship, which I'm all in favor of. But let me tell you something, Easter is every day in the life of a believer because we think about it and we worship Him. We think about it and we serve Him. And we think about it and it generates a great confident anticipation that one day we'll be with Him. Share the good news, folks. Tell the folks around you that Easter is about Jesus, Him crucified, buried, and resurrected, and in glory, and we'll be there with Him one day. Amen? Christ is risen! He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's stand to our feet.